visioning community. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought, not division in community, and where we want to help you to remember how to think and not tell you what to think. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the creative director here at Hill City, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. John Wagler, also a team member of Hill City Wags. How you doing, bud? Doing well. Um, went down a big rabbit trail yesterday on archaeology. Don't know why. That's not my thing. But I I don't know. I was just like super interested that over in Israel, they've discovered a couple new cities recently and one that they hadn't yet discovered yet at all. And it was one of the cities that David has escaped to. And so I don't know. I just find that stuff whenever it like pops up. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's not my thing. But I just I'm like, that's pretty neat that they can now say, hey, that part of the Bible is true. Yeah. You know, Re- uh, relevant to our uh episode today i fell down a rabbit hole about schrodinger's cat um because i always just thought it was like a stand-in for like a thing that's here but that's not here but it's actually a pretty crazy like experiment (laughs) with physics that i didn't really understand but i really wanted to understand so i read about it for hours anytime Um, you can use a cat and cyanide in science that's a really good time (laughs) yeah anytime you can end a cat (laughs) not a cat person you have already heard the voice of our special guest today um we would like to welcome seth henshaw um to the show Uh, we're going to talk about science and faith seth is um, a member here, or, or a, a part of our community um, here at Hill City, and a friend. Um, and he is also a research scientist um, in the fields of nuclear physics and um, radiation detection. So, Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> I mean, I mean, for real. I mean, like, yeah. Um, I'm I'm more like, interested in how do you not just walk into rooms and be like, I'm a nuclear physicist. <laughs> Everyone listen. <laughs> I would do that all the time. <laughs> right, right. One of the guys that I work with often, uh, we go uh, to a restaurant or something like that, and he'll say, I'm no nuclear physicist or anything, but, yeah. and then, you know, that's the way yeah. the conversation always starts. Um, <laughs> no, I, I got my uh, PhD from Duke University uh, back in 2010, and since then I've been working primarily for the government through contracting vehicles uh, to study the way that we can detect terrestrial radiation. So think about things that emit radioactive, you know, radioactive materials that emit radiation. Uh, how do we detect them? Sometimes that's just typical things. You know, in, in, in industrial applications, we use a lot of uh, radiological materials. So when you want to build a road, you use a radiation gauge to actually measure the moisture content of the asphalt hmm. in order to know when you can compact it so that it doesn't crack, but it also doesn't flow out. So those gauges are around all the time. They're known as Troxler gauges, and uh, people are interested in being able to see if we can detect those from far away. Mm. What are the health hazards associated with them? How long could somebody be in the presence of one of those before we might suspect that they might have an issue? It's funny because I feel like for lay people like John and I, when I hear radiation, I either think bomb, <laughs> Spider-Man, or space. Those are the only right. th- like it's always really exciting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or you hear the word like, terrestrial, I'm like. Extra? <laughs> yeah, it's right. automatically, which is like to us, science is magic. Um, uh, well, that's awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Definitely. Glad to be here. Um, so one of the reasons that we wanted to have Seth on was because we've gotten um, a lot of emails. We read your emails 
And sometimes we just do episodes that we want to do that aren't in the emails. <laughs> but sometimes we do episodes that are um, requested by you. If you want to um, email us with thoughts, questions, or suggestions um, for a topic of the show, you can do that by emailing staycurious at hillcityrva.com. So we got a lot of emails from folks asking about just like issues of science and faith. Do they conflict? There were some people that were kind of like, so I'm a you know, a science person, uh, uh, you know, I, I believe, quote unquote, believe in science or whatever. Um, and I'm having a hard time reconciling that with my new belief in Jesus. Or some people were just like, um, I believe in Jesus and I believe in science, but there are people in my life who are telling me that I can't do those two things. Um, so we just thought, well, we know a scientist <laughs> who's also a Christian and we'll just have him on and talk about how the two things exist. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of the where we're going to start. Um, Seth, give us your perspective just from your life experience and your study both in science and in faith um, of this idea that there's somehow a conflict between science and faith in God. For sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I would say that over the years, you know, as I've gone through my scientific study and also been a Christian for a number of years now, um, that we've seen a shift in the definition of science. So uh, when I was bringing, when I was brought up in the world, it was science was the pursuit of information in a very formulated way, using hypothesis testing, using experimentation. You find yourself down a path where you conclude something based on evidence that you've seen. Science Council sort of, you know, defines science as the pursuit and application of knowledge and understanding of the natural and social world following a systematic methodology. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I was raised and what I have always thought science to mean. Uh, In preparing for this kind of podcast, I was like, well, let's just go on Google and see what they think about it. And I found the Merriam-Webster definition to be a little bit interesting. They state it's the state of knowing, knowledge as distinguished from ignorance or misunderstanding. So we've seen science mean something different to the new generations that it wasn't meant to mean when we were growing up. And uh, I think that's a, a bit of a false dichotomy. You know, if you define science as all a fact, then anything that's not science is somehow fiction. And uh, I think that's kind of a disservice to, to what a lot of people do that we don't consider walking around on a daily basis uh, science, you mm-hmm. know, but you're doing all kinds of things. When you take a step, you're making sure that the ground is still there and you've taken a whole lot of steps before and so you have good faith that the next step you're going to take you're not just going to fall through the ground right so there's Mm. that process do you think that that shift has happened because there's been more interaction with debates and everything so like guys like Richard Dawkins you know that you know they writes books on this and and how you can't have both you know what I mean like it, it he's like a super or was a super angry person against religion, also incredibly intelligent and and everything and looking at science and and all that. Do you think that that's shifted a little bit? Because I know, I think I read where from like 1900 to 2000, over 60% of the Nobel Prize winners in the science field were believers in God. So it's a myth, you know, (laughs) to say that like that's not been... A part. Do you, do you think that that's been part of the shift? That there's more interaction there. I definitely would agree with that. I, you know, most of our science history shows us scientists who are pursuing some sort of quest for knowledge. Most of the time, that was about God or God's creation or God's design. It's only been in the recent 
maybe 100 years that we've seen a dramatic shift in, in the language there. And I think that's been popularized in media. You know, science uses things like intuition, critical thinking, logical processing, hypothesis testing. But it's not those things. Like those things, identity are not captivated in science. When you, uh, you know, just because you're using intuition and critical thinking to go from one place to another, that doesn't mean you're doing science. You're just doing life. You're just being a normal person, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. We talked, John and I have been talking um, leading up to this episode about sort of this idea that um, really it's less about like you can't be a scientist and have faith. And it's really like um, more that somewhere along the line, probably around Darwin, but I mean, going all the way back to the Enlightenment, it was not about God versus science. It was about like the church versus this new sort of like emerging, I don't know, culture or like idea of yeah study and like empirical thought. Um, and, and so really, I think now as we move away from and start to re- sort of separate this idea that like the church and all of its good and bad is not God. God, you know, like it has to do with God, but it itself is not God. Like church is people who are flawed and broken. And it seems like it's a much easier, um, uh, sort of a much easier marriage of the idea of a God, um, and the science that explains his creation versus yeah, like the church doesn't like what Darwin's saying, so they're going to go after him, and then he's going to go after them, and then all of a sudden there's this weird sort of like phantom of a of a conflict that doesn't even really exist. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we need to be careful with our language, right? So faith, it defined in the Bible, is, you know, the confidence in things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, right? That's That's what we would call faith. If you have faith in God, then you have, but you can have faith in science. In fact, most scientists have a lot of faith in science. It's built on a body of literature. When I go and do some experiment, I'm not going to recreate something somebody did 100 years ago. I'm going to say, okay, based on the fact that that happened and that's true, I'm now going to do the following. So I'm taking a lot of faith in our body of literature, in the way the world works, in the way we understand things, in order to make interpretations going forward. And when those interpretations are wrong, we usually find a flaw in our faith, in our scientific fact. You know, 1600s, we thought the earth was flat. 1700s, we didn't even know that chemicals existed, right? I mean, the elements were earth and fire and water and wind. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't discover the atom until the 1900s. We didn't even know that the nucleus existed until the 1950s. You know, like, that's a lot of time. I mean, the first discovery of what theoretically was a nucleus was in 1932 mm -hmm. chadwick discovers the neutron but it took another 10 15 years before we were even understanding like what the heck does that mean and how does that fit in and now we run cities on nuclear power right i mean it's a it's a drastic evolution and it it changes on a dime you know the the whimsical nature of science is very tricky you know you can believe in something like supersymmetry or string theory and then tomorrow somebody will discover something and that will all be hogwash so yeah so there is an element of faith in the science i mean you have to operate on faith to some degree and in the same way i think we get we get messed up a little bit with uh even how we think about our faith as christians because even when you read through scripture like in particular say the new testament with the gospels they are saying i saw this so it's evidence right so it's not there's the other part of this myth, I think, around Christianity is that it's all this blind faith. Like I remember hearing 
I was telling you guys about the guy John Lennox. I remember hearing him uh, on an interview how he was in a debate with somebody, and the guy, the guy um, across from him says, "Well, he he likened believing in Jesus to believing in Santa Claus. Like mm-hmm. that that was the the phrasing he used, and um, and that's kind of like a familiar thing. That's like you know, like oh, do you believe in the Easter Bunny too? You know, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. And and Lennox responded to him. And he started talking about how everyone operates out of faith and kind of like started picking him apart a little bit. But then he even said this that I thought was like, I mean, like that's such a good way to, to phrase it. He said, how many adults do you know of that are coming to believe in Santa Claus? Right. You know what I mean? And right. so he, he said, none. And he goes, it's because it's a myth. He said, but literally millions and millions and millions of people in this world as adults are believing in Jesus because of evidence in their life and what's happened and and how arrogant it can be to say like oh you peons over there have, right. have no knowledge of evidence-based anything you know so it's like an interesting what's happened even within the church conversation around science and everything I think church has done plenty of harm you know i was um reading about how even john calvin who's like looked at it obviously as like a, a formative person in church culture i mean he told people if they didn't believe in like seven days creation and get out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> so right. well, like, and, and church even, has done problems that way. Even too. going back to what you said at the beginning, you know, um, atheists, non-atheists, Christians from a historical perspective, utilize the Bible to find out things all of the time. I mean, the Bible is one of our oldest texts and the body of literature that we have in the Bible, a book that I read the other day said, how many copies of Homer's Iliad do we actually have from authenticated from the period of time? It's something like four or mm. eight. Yeah. The copies of the Old Testament, the copies of the New Testament are numbered in the thousands. Mm-hmm. So from a body of literature that can give us historical information or evidence about things, the Bible is one of our biggest bodies of works, and atheists from all over the place use it to find out things about history, about culture, about society. So I think it's a bit of a misnomer to say anything related to the Bible or Jesus is just hokum, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that first off, Saint Nicholas of Myra was a real person. So <laughs> you know what I mean, Matt. I'm always you know rising. I, the I knew of Santa you were going to say something about Santa Claus, and I'm surprised you didn't pop in on the flat Earth thing either. <laughs> oh yeah, I watched. A do- I watched a documentary. Okay. You, if out of context, you just made it seem like I think the Earth oh, is flat. That's true. <laughs> I watched a documentary on flat Earthers the other night, and it was. Very entertaining. Um, I do not think the Earth is flat. Uh, it is ridiculously hard to prove that the Earth is not flat. It is. If if you <laughs> want to, for the pictures though, right? <laughs> yeah. If you want to like go, well, the pictures can be faked, and we never landed on the moon, and everything else. Yeah, yeah. If you want to go from a technical standpoint to prove that the Earth is flat, you have to get into things like how GPS works. Nobody knows how GPS works. We hmm. use it all of the time to figure out where we are and where we're going, how to get there, but nobody knows how it works. Mm-hmm. People just take it on faith. Right. I mean, when you're walking down the road and you're driving down the road and all of a sudden your GPS says turn left now, you don't just like close your eyes and go, you know what? I'm going <laughs> to double down on my effort. Here we go. <laughs> right. Right into oncoming traffic. So um, I think it's it's one of those things where if you if you stick your head in the sand, you close your eyes and then you just go, you know what? I'm going to just operate on faith. That's a terrible thing. And if you just say take some set of facts and then call them science. And then every time somebody questions you, you just go back to those facts, but you don't allow for any interpretation or any change. That's equally, you know, wrong. I mean, science and faith are tools. 
that you use to live your life. Like you are the thing that's good or bad. The tools are not. It's how you implement them. It's how you utilize them to find understanding and to find, you know, what you believe is true. Well, it's funny. So that documentary about the flat earthers now, like the current flat earth society or whatever, um, really the sort of like core of the documentary was about the science community at Caltech getting together and being like, how did this happen? And the result was sort of the inverse of what's happened with the church. It's these scientists all got together in this in the documentary. They filmed this like science get together whatever, for, for all of these astrophysicists and stuff at Caltech. And they all basically start talking about how, like, these people don't trust us anymore. Like you were saying, it's, like, not super easy to prove that the Earth is round, um, but we trust that people smarter than us, John and I, I don't know if they're smarter than you, but we trust that people smarter than us that have been working on this have proved it. But now, because what what these scientists at Caltech were saying was, like, we've been so snarky and like looking down at people so much that now we have this this thing kind of of our own making where people don't believe us anymore like and they think they know better and it's not because we're so great it's just like i put in the work to learn about astrophysics and so i would hope that people would listen to what i have to say but these people aren't listening anymore because the way that i've been saying it is not caring right it's the same thing we have with the church it's like People don't believe because not because of God, but because we haven't been very nice. <laughs> you know, like the church has has some stuff in its history of like not being very kind to people. And so people now have stopped believing us. It's the same thing with these astrophysicists. They're like, we just haven't been nice. And now people don't believe us that the earth is round anymore. One of the biggest things that I've uh, seen in my life, uh, this is just my personal, you know, system of beliefs and the way I've seen things. But when people start talking fast and using big words, they usually are trying to pull one over on you. So like they're always, you know, making their words bigger and longer and then you start to think, well, like when he said axiomatic, like honestly, axioms in physics are just beliefs. Mm. You can't prove your axioms and if you ever try to prove your axioms, you're just following yourself in a circle, right? The word axiom you could just replace for faith. And anytime you see that in your geometry textbook, you're like the following things are true because I said so. Okay, now let's go through the thing, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody says the word spontaneous symmetry breaking, that is a fancy word for I have no idea <laughs> what is actually going on here, right? right? Um, so I think that I, I'm kind of getting the sense from our conversation and then from conversations leading up to this podcast that this idea of, you know, quote unquote, faith versus science is kind of like an armchair quarterbacking thing. Like it's people who are not scientists and who are, so, are also not theologians arguing with one another about science versus faith. So I want to get your perspective as a scientist who, you know, went to Duke um, and now is working in the science field, like from the ground level of scientists, like people with PhDs in science, (laughs) hanging out with other scientists, do you really get that much flack? It's an interesting question. I think the, you know, uh, the academic environment can be very guarded and you have to find yourself where you're at. So if you are around a bunch of biologists, you're going to have a very different conversation than if you're around a bunch of nuclear physicists or you're around a bunch of historians. And I think that we tend to get tunnel vision and we get a lot of, quote, group think when you're in a community of people where, um, you know, we find that our most awesome uh, scientific achievements or, you know, breakthroughs have come from weird places. Einstein was a patent clerk. Mm -hmm. Like he sat around all day 
reading patents and going, nope, seen that before, nope, seen that before. And he revolutionized the way that we think about space and time. Mm. He wasn't an Oxford theologian that's sitting up here pontificating about, you mm. know, all this stuff. So I think that's an uh, something to always keep in mind when you're having a conversation is who are you having a conversation with? What is the context of the conversation? And what words are they using to try to frame up what they're discussing? Um, when I hear the word faith, what comes to my mind is not science or God necessarily. It's about relationship. Like it's the evidence and things unseen and something about me, what I'm hoping for. Um, and, you know, my relationship has nothing to do with whether or not God can prove to me that the earth is round. It's, you know, I've met him. I've talked to him. He's talked to me. We've had interactions. He's as real to me as my wife, Brittany is, you know, there's no, there's no question. Right. So sometimes when people don't know something, they tend to infer, right? Like you're sitting around a room and people start talking about Bob and they start saying all these things and you've never met Bob, but over the course of time, you start to realize like, oh yeah, I know Bob. And all these Why things that are I saying about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bob's a terrible person. Like, listen to all this stuff. But you've never met him, right? right? In the same way, people, you know, have never met science. They hear a lot of people talking about science, but they never read any books. They just find themselves thinking, ah, oh, well, science says the following things are true, and I believe that. So, you know, science is right, and Christianity's wrong, you know? And I think you need to meet something before you make an assessment about it. You really need to dig into it. So in our college Bible study, one of the girls that was in it was talking about her brother who's super anti-faith because of science and um, and just made the casual comment that like science can prove that God doesn't exist. And I was like, uh, no, it can't. <laughs> you can't. Like, that's literally impossible, you know. And so but even like even little things like that, you just to your point, I think we take on things from a narrative that's put out there or whatever that just aren't true. And then we don't take the time to ever think about the fact that a scientist might use fancy words to try and prove something fully knowing that the common reader is going to have no idea that actually just might mean like it just randomly happened. Right. <laughs> I have no idea what that is, but I'll use a fancy phrase and make it sound like I do. You know? Yeah. Like take the first words of the Bible, right? In the beginning there was, you know, God created light. Okay. Boom. That's a great that's a great wording, right? Here's a different one. In the beginning there was nothing, and then all of a sudden, matter and antimatter separated from one another. And through that there was a giant explosion. And the very beginning of the giant explosion actually released a giant amount of what we call gamma rays. And those gamma rays have pervaded all through space and through time, and then eventually the earth the universe started to cool, and that energy redshifted down, and now we have what we call the cosmic microwave background. Yeah. That is the same story. <laughs> right. It's yeah. the same exact story, just using different language. Um, when you start to study that kind of thing and you start to go, oh, wow, at the beginning there was just a giant burst of light. That's kind of interesting from a physics perspective. You know, that makes sense. Yeah, it feels like this idea of science versus faith or science versus God or religion or whatever is like it's a people war, right? Like science doesn't care. Like relativity doesn't care whether or not you believe in God, right? Like, uh, um, like we were talking about Schrodinger's cat, like that, that experiment doesn't care whether or not Schrodinger believed in God or not. And God doesn't really care whether you believe in science or not, you know, like, and, uh, so it's kind of like the, it's a, we, we equated it, um, cause we talk about, um, you know, race and, and social, social issues on, on this podcast and, and just like in our office a lot. And I had sort of equated it to, this idea of how we live in the echo of slavery, right? So like slavery and well, 
slavery isn't legal the way it used to be, right? Um, but we still live in the echo, like we live in the um, the the aftermath of slavery. It's the same thing. Like we're kind of like the idea that you can't be a Christian and a scientist is like living in the aftermath of the church being angry at Darwin or being angry at Da Vinci or whatever. Like it's not really a thing. We just like. Now racism really is a thing, but like still. it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry, still a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's yeah. the idea that like you're living in the consequences of a thing that happened I think, a long time ago. I think it's worth remembering too that science is about trends. So in science, what we try to do is take a lot of data points and find commonalities between those data points and then extrapolate what we think would happen if we were to go do a new experiment. Like would we find the same trend that we saw in all the previous data points? God's kind of about miracles. Mm. Not, you know, he's about breaking the trends. He's about doing something that's revolutionary and dramatic. And maybe it only happens once. Christ only rose from the dead one time, mm. right? There's no other data points to really suggest that. If you were to go and look at all of the data points of all of the people on the earth, you'd go, pretty much everybody dies. And if you kind of use that to extrapolate, you're going to go, well, I don't believe people can rise from the dead. But you know, that's kind of not a fair comparison because we're talking about something that is miraculous in its intent versus something that is trying to follow a trend. So, like, the point of it is that it doesn't happen. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, sorry, man, I'm interrupting. Go ahead. There, but they, I think there's, too, to that point, some of even what science is discovering is miraculous. It, you know what I mean? Like, there's, I was reading about the 47 constants, you know, of like how this all came together. And, and I was just like, as the guy was explaining, I was like, Gosh, that's just crazy that all of those things like have to happen in order for us to be here and they can't be off at all. Nope. Like in and, and then the, I don't remember it's one one to the something power, but it's a massive like number and and I was just sitting there being like that's a that is a true miracle and what he made the point was that now scientists knowing that part are actually moving towards this blind faith that there must be something like because it's it's a miracle what they're discovering right right and then they have to come up with something and so now what they're coming up is a little bit of blind faith in something else so it's like totally ironic that they're coming back around on it and it's just interesting like even within the science faith community discussion for sure yeah that's i mean that's called the standard model the standard model has these standard constants and if you try to prove them from theory you don't get anywhere you basically say well these are rolls of the dice but we know what they are because we do experiments and we measure the mass of the proton or the coupling constant between the electromagnetic interactions of things so Mm -hmm. We've measured those things, and you've got 26 of them in the standard model. If you expand it a little bit, you know, to include some of our modern theories, you get down into the 46, 47. If you were to try to roll the dice and come up with the numbers that we see from experiments, the odds of that are astronomically large. And the the percentages that you can be off are like one part in 10 trillion. You know, you it's a very, very small change that totally destroys the universe. And... Not only that, but if you look at our common scientific theory about how we came from Big Bang all the way till now, they had to happen in order and they had to happen at precise times. The cooling had to occur and the mass energy coupling constant had to dissipate at exactly right moments in order to to get what we see. And uh, it is, it's, it's miraculous that we have what we have. And almost every scientist would tell you that if any of it changed, there's no way that carbon-based life forms the way that we are would exist. Mm. So it's a it's a pretty fantastic. Theory. I also wonder too 
when we're just discussing some of the dynamics of all of this and kind of historically and stuff too, I think to me, as I'm sitting here listening, there's an element of this, the arrogance of Christians throughout time, you know, that would say as if there's some, I, I could be totally wrong on this, but it feels like a lot of times as I'm like reading and, and studying around this, that the arrogance of Christians kind of generationally has been such a big thing. And so rather than can, so some of it's like, I I wonder if some scientists are just, actually, this is the way they're kind of exhibiting a church hurt, you know, in some kind of way or, and because like, I wonder if, if folks that are just designed that way and like love science and all in, if they went to churches and had like pastors and stuff that their pastor's response was what? You know, like, this is amazing. I can't believe you're in on this. And like, like, tell me more kind of thing. Even like with the Darwin thing, like what? Like, then this is, you know, if that was like the response and because of we believe in a miraculous God and we believe it can go far beyond our rather than being like, you know what? It was six days mm-hmm. and like one, you know, and like kind of in like being like, you must not believe in Jesus. You know, you must not. You know, is the Bible not the word of God to you? You know, whatever. And then, and they would fight against even some things in like the creation order, right? It's scientifically doesn't fit. Like there's some little mishaps in Genesis one. And so, so even like that stuff, there was this fight against it through arrogance of Christianity that then hurt people along the way that caused this divide. So sometimes even to this day, when we have this discussion with people, like the science of faith kind of thing, and they blame it on science. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I really think this is like the arrogance of Christians on the front end that created like hurt in like demeaning right. people and saying you can't possibly believe in God then. Right. And so they're like, well, screw that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Galileo is a classic example, right? The church took on science and they said, we believe in this wholeheartedly, right? Like the, the earth is flat and the sun goes around the earth and that's the way that it is, right? And then a guy comes along and he's like, ah, you know, like scientifically, this kind of makes some difference thing and the church says no six days baby like the sun goes around the earth and gets excommunicated and all so i think one thing i would sort of recommend for people that want to study science and have a christian ideas is to hold it loosely in your hand you know like um uh, of mice and men right if you if you if you're like lenny and you grab that mouse and you squeeze it so hard you're gonna kill the mouse you know you got to kind of keep your keep your faith open so that the holy spirit can work in there Keep your science open because you never know what's going to change. You know, if you squeeze too tight, you might just lose it. Right. Yeah. I always think about the Galileo thing. Like, if the church had just been like, "All right, cool," like that sounds <laughs> good. On, that's awesome. Yeah. Moving on. Like, like reprint the maps. You know, <laughs> let's uh, just do it. Yeah. We wouldn't even be having an argument. Like, there would be no argument. Like, people would not have the excuse of science to not attend a church because yeah, like, it's like it's a culture. War. You know, it's like a it's a cultural war. It's not really. Again, if yeah, if they had just, I think from the start, if the Pope had been like, "All right, cool, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, round, sounds good," and right, then yeah. moving forward, like, "Oh yeah, the butterflies uh, are different because of this th- selection." All right, doesn't <laughs> I mean like, yeah, God seems cool. fine with that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool, moving on. Like there little, would be no animosity, right? right? It's a little bit tricky. I mean, you know, evolution is a good one, right? Microevolution has been pretty well proven. Like, if you sit down with a, a host of fruit flies and you watch them for a few days, you'll be like, "Ah, oh, son of a gun, they yeah. change." Like that's. <laughs> That's pretty fantastic for a scientist to sit there and a Christian to come along and go, nope, that does not happen. It's like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) it's happening right here. 
Now, does that mean that people grow, you know, a sixth finger or that birds change into snakes or whales turn into narwhal? I don't, you know, like those are weird, like edge cases where you're extrapolating some microscopic thing into this big grandiose thing, you know, and whether or not even the scientific evidence supports that is, I think, still a little bit of a, an exploration in our scientific community. So, you know, you kind of got to be careful what you're talking about and don't grab a hold of something and go, nope, evolution, absolutely not, because, you know, it means different things to different people. And, and too, even when you look at biblically, right, like even you saying like something like that, like, what about creation? What about Adam and Eve? And and I always kind of laugh because I was in a conversation a couple months ago and sometimes I like to poke the bear whenever we get into <laughs> no, theology, you. like, you know, with people and uh, and even if I maybe technically agree with them, but like there, this person said to me, John, like if if that's true, what you just said, the whole Bible goes away. And I'm like, nope. I was like, actually, all that means is that we actually got I said it proves the validity of the Bible more because we were talking about like a little contradiction between a certain passage. And I said that actually proves the validity of the Bible because we are reading a book that was written at a certain time with certain knowledge and a certain perspective and their exploration of God. And this is what they knew. You know, and so I was like, why would we expect it to just perfectly match up? So what if we look in one part and look at another part and there's a different perspective? Like, that's okay. It just proves the humanity of what the Bible is and does not take away the authority of God, does not take away like how important of a document it is and all those other things. And I fully believe it to be the inspired word of God and everything. But it was fascinating because this person's like, I mean, been a Christian for a long time and they were still holding on to this, which also with the whole like Adam and Eve and creation thing. And I said, like, so you don't believe that's true? And I'm like, I mean, I don't know. I was like, we might get to heaven. And I'm like, where's Eve? (laughs) And they're going, what are you talking about? You know, and I was like, but maybe they're there. I don't know. But but I'm like, why does it matter? Why that that shouldn't matter to whether or not like the entire thing is true. And I think it just shows how quickly we can hold on to things or how um, or maybe how like legalistic we all have to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and so we can't like we can't hold it loosely and be like, yeah, but God wants us to explore. God wants us to learn and grow and be OK with that. And I think part of that then has stemmed this fictitious fight between science and faith. Yeah. You know? yeah. One of the uh, there's a pastor down in North Carolina, uh, J.D. Greer, that mm-hmm. I really like. And uh, he's like, you really get one choice in life. You. You can either let God be God or you can try to be God. And that's really all you get. Like whenever you sort of make the decision, like I'm going to be God in this instant, it's kind of where you go awry and you start to introduce sin. And when you have a, a apparent contradiction between one part of the Bible and another or some scientific fact in the Bible, it's kind of like, well, I believe I am the one, the authoritative figure that's going to make the determination that science is right and the Bible is wrong or vice versa. It kind of seems like you should take a little bit of a step back and say, you know what, maybe my understanding of both could be fallible in some way and that I I just don't see how these pieces connect yet. Yeah, yeah, and it just, um, it seems like the same, to me, it seems like the same thing. It's the, this, it's the observing chaos and trying and, and believing that there's order and then trying to find it, right? Like that's one of the things that I've heard from, um, you know, just like atheist uh, authors that I've read and, and like friends that I've had is like, you're just, you know, you're trying, it's, it's, um, 
confirmation, like faith is confirmation bias. You're trying to find something there so you find it. And like, I think for some people, maybe that's what it is. But also it's like, yeah, but isn't that, again, it's like observing that butterflies uh, in one area are many different colors. Seems like chaos, but it's like, there's gotta be some reason. So somebody studied it, <laughs> you know, and like found order in it. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's almost as if, you know, um, empirical study and the scientific method is is going is the same idea as theology and and you know we need all of it. It's so interesting, right? That you, yeah, it's so interesting that you bring that up. I mean, um, you know, people seem to think that science is like you have to be a Buddhist monk and be perfectly in the middle and unbiased and then just let the facts lead you where they lead you. That's not really the way science goes. I mean, science is about building a hypothesis. You believe in that, you drive it, you build an experiment, you you've 100% believe that that hypothesis is true, and then when the data shows you that it's wrong, you change your hypothesis. It's not about being unbiased, it's about being totally biased towards that answer, but letting the data show you you're wrong in that bias and then, you know, correcting yourself. I mean, it's a it's a pattern of self-correction, not, you know, unbiased, you know, moving through the ether in some weird way. I mean, that's just not the way science is done. Yeah. And it's funny because that's how we talk about Christianity too with people. Yeah. A lot of times we're like, you got to come to grips with the resurrection. Something happened right. <laughs> historically. Like it didn't just, there was no big bang with Christianity in terms of like, all of a sudden there's 10,000, you know, like there is something happened that you've got it like evidence-based historically that you've got to deal with. Now you can come to the decision if you want, you know, that that's not how you believe this, but you got to deal with it. I would know? much rather people say, I am a devout atheist. I 100% believe in atheism, and that's the way that it's going to go, because at least you formulated an opinion, and I'm confident that God exists, so I'll show you that your opinion is wrong through the course of time, through, you know, proper things. Or I'm 100% in on Christianity, I 100% believe it, and then, you know, let an atheist kind of take the opposite approach. Like, I'm hundred percent sure that that's not true. Let me prove it to you. The ones that are in the middle are the hardest because Hard, yeah. you just like float around in this agnostic space where you're kind of like, I don't really know. And I don't really care. And whatever. You yeah. Know, like. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that if you're in the middle, the hope is that you're working toward, it's kind of like being in the middle of the scientific process, right? Like you don't form a hypothesis, start the experiment and then be like, meh, I don't know. You know, like you, you're moving <laughs> forward. So I would say, yeah, for people who are floating in the middle, I think it's good it's good to like give yourself room, but at the same time don't stop. You like keep going. Like keep going like you said, in one direction or the other, like keep figuring it out. Um and yeah, like John to your point, that's my new thing I think with people is just something happened, right? <laughs> like you don't I you do not have to believe anything magical happened or crazy or metaphysical or you don't have to believe that anybody I came back from the dead or whatever, but like Jesus was historically a real person. He like existed during a verifiable reign of a certain Caesar and somehow something happened that made a Jewish cult the biggest uh, religion in the world, you know, like the something. biggest organized religion in the world. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I have not, you know, we believe something happened that there's a specific thing that happened, but I don't think anybody at this point in history can say, like it's all you know to say that it's a total conspiracy is 
like saying that the round earth is a conspiracy. Like, no, all of the scientists, all of the academics, everybody got together and decided that they were going to sell us this BS. And like, I don't believe it no matter what. Yeah, it's let's like, lose our lives, get poor. Right. Like all the things that were like a cult might want to do, like in terms of like, let's get money, let's get fun. Like they're like, let's do the exact opposite. <laughs> what every other cult does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I've got a, a I've got a good friend uh, who's a history teacher who's starting at St. Chris this fall. And uh, he likes to say, you know, history is his story. It's the story is told through the eyes of the victor. Right. And so a lot of people take that to mean, well, now that Christianity is the thing, we've rewritten history, you right. know, and like done this whole thing. But it's kind of not true. Right. If you look at the way the history books have been written, it was for a long time, not a Christian author that was there. Oh, and to sure. say that yeah. that has somehow proliferated to today is really crazy. I mean, the second part that he likes to constantly remind me of is that just because we're older now doesn't mean we're smarter. You know, we here in our current time have all of these scientific things yet we still have a really hard time explaining how the pyramids got built or how these things happened and we don't know a lot of the things that the roman engineers knew about aqueducts and and modern engineering like we still don't have those skills and especially not without our modern tooling we would don't know how they worked so to say that somehow we are more enlightened or educated now today than they were 500 years ago or 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago is a bit of a bias, you know, in history. I mean, I think you got to kind of take the fact that people on the whole are pretty much the same as they always were, and we just have different knowledge now than we did before. Well, when you take a look at our world, like when someone's like, we're, we were so much more advanced, I'm like, we are killing people all the time. Yeah. We can't get over racism. Like We can't figure out how to feed the poor. We can't do any. Yeah, we're so smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, really so got smart. It all we got, yeah. we got everything on lockdown. Yeah, yeah, we figured out the atom, and then we automatically used its splitting to kill a bunch of people. Like, <laughs> right. that's we clearly don't have it all figured out. <laughs> um, cool. Well, you know, I have one more question, and we're we're just about at time. But something that I really struggle with is this idea. Like earlier, you recommended um, this book, uh, Science of God. Who's it by? Uh, Gerard Schroeder. Okay, so Gerard Schroeder, and. I struggle with this idea of like, is it worth the endeavor to science, try to scientifically prove God is real? Because God, from my understanding of the of the Bible, is that God values faith. Did you ever read Douglas Adams, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? You know, there's a joke in that where like they, they uh, prove that God was real, so he disappeared. And like, that's how God disappeared. I kind of like weirdly internalized that, I think, at an early age. And so it's the idea that like, Theology is the study of a thing that doesn't really want to be figured out. Um, like neutrons don't care if you figure them out or not, right? Like they're not a moving target. I'm not saying I'm not stating the fact theology is the study, but that's like a thing. Or that's that stuck neutrons in my... really don't care. I mean, yeah, you might have hurt maybe, your feelings maybe right they now. Care. <laughs> um, but something that like I struggle with is how much time and energy should we devote to stuff like um, proving quote-unquote, scientifically proving the existence or the possibility of God? And you may not have a definite answer, but... Yeah, no, I... I um, this is my own personal thing, uh, so I, I definitely think that a lot, everybody can have a different opinion here, but God is a an amazing creator. He is an artist as much as he was a scientist, as much as he was a humanitarian. Um, and artists want their work explored and and, and and articulated and and contrasted against and it may not necessarily be to say like you as an artist are the following but it's it, you know they want you to engage in their art and 
study their creation and and find new things and interesting things. And I think that God wants us to pursue his creation in the stars. He wants to have that conversation with you personally and sh- like, let me show you this really cool thing over here. There's this like weird animal. Do you see what I just did? I just stuck this with that and it kind of worked. You know, like I think he's that kind of person that wants you to get involved with him and find that creation. If you find that derailing your relationship with God, then I think you might be doing it wrong. You should find that as like, just like you explore things with, you know, like my wife and I love to go hiking and climbing and kayaking and exploring some new place. And we love doing that together, not because I want to prove her right or wrong. It's just, we want to the art of discovery to join in that union and, and find happiness in that. And I think God wants that with you. I mean, he wants to be your partner exploring the universe whether it be through history or through literature or through science, you know, he wants you to find that. So what would you say to somebody who is on the, um, who's of the opinion that, um, look, how can you as a scientist believe in a God that you will never be able to prove exists? Like what's your, what's your response to that? So, um, proving that a God exists is an interesting thing, right? Mm -hmm. I've already proven that God exists to me. Like, I have a relationship with God. It is a completely 100% factual-based, like, I have conversations, he, you know, he works with me, right? You know, like, it's not a matter of proof to me anymore. But me proving God to you is kind of not my job. Like, mm. that's kind of God's job and the Holy Spirit's job. My job maybe is to, like, help you, like, unlock the doors or pull some wool off of your eyes so you can maybe see a little bit clearer. But it's really the Holy Spirit's job to get involved. I would tell you, like... Dig in, invest, call me, email me. Like, let's talk about what you're having a trouble with because I think anybody that tells you they think they know the right answer is probably wrong. You know, and you just need to like go down the rabbit hole. Like, if you see something that you think is at odds, don't back away from it. Like, jump into it with both feet and go down, get a PhD learning about one particular aspect of the world, and you'll probably find that it's not necessarily at odds with what you think. Cool. John, you have anything else? Just going to recommend two books. All right. Go um, for it. By the same author. All so right. the guy, John Le- John Lennox, it's like a, just a good starter. A um, couple of books for you. Um, if you're interested in kind of engaging this conversation, he wrote uh, Seven Days That Changed the World, which is really good. And then Can Science Explain Everything is his newest one. And so he's very pastoral. I mean, he's a scientist, but he very pastoral and breaks everything down and kind of everyday language and uh, super good books to read. So. Cool. And then, um, Seth, do you have any besides uh, Science of God? I don't, it's such an easy title, but I keep having to look at my notes for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, besides Science of God, um, either on the faith side or just like on the science side, like if I want to know more about what you do or like, um, you know, I like TED Talks, stuff like that. Is there any reading that you would recommend? If somebody listened to this podcast episode and was like, yeah, this is my thing, what would you recommend? So for me, um, my books tend to be things that my wife are like, you should never read this book, but I'm going (laughs) to give it to you anyway. So I love C.S. Lewis. I love his articulate explanation of things and the way that he looks through things. So the problem of pain is a, is a particularly Mm. good one for me. Um, there's a scientist that I really like named Richard Feynman. Um, he has a really quirky way of explaining things that uh, makes sense and is just uh, super powerful and very, very short. So um, I would encourage you to read Feynman. Feynman has a thing on the lectures of physics. Um, he also has a book about time. He has a book about QED is one of my favorites from him. Um, so 
yeah just if you like technical books they're great very cool i won't give you guys my reading list because it's mostly comic books and (laughs) star trek adaptations that's what i know about science um so yeah thanks everyone for joining us thanks again seth for being on um if you all have any questions comments concerns or requests um go ahead and email stay curious uh, at hillcityrva.com um, and if you have something for Seth, just ask and we can pass along his information. Um, thanks everyone for joining us and we will see you next time. 